Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Marcus Cron. We interview experts so you can understand all aspects of real estate investing. Whether you're a passive investor or an experienced syndicator, this podcast can guide you on your journey of building wealth through real estate. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I'm joined by Anthony Scandariato, who has years of commercial real estate experience. He has a background of acquiring and managing mixed use properties. So he'll give some unique insight into these types of properties. So you're definitely going to want to listen to the whole episode. So Anthony, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Marcus. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And that you kind of share insights into, I mean, it's, it is multifamily, but it's kind of mixed with, with some retail and commercial components. So really excited to let you share that aspect. I'm going to give you a little bit of an intro here first. So sure. a little bit about Anthony. Prior to forming Red Knight Properties, Anthony graduated from Cornell University. He's a co-founder at Ridgeview Partners and specialized in the retail space with a vertical model that provided flexibility to serve multiple customer segments with similar product lines through retail, wholesale, and production contracting channels acquired and developed growth of 110 plus retailers within first year operations. He later moved on to acquisitions and asset manager, vice president for vision properties, where he was directly involved and and responsible for sourcing negotiation and managing the acquisition of close to $600 million of class A office assets. So Anthony, that's a little bit of a intro on yourself. You want to tell the whole story and kind of talk about how you got here, how you got in real estate and, and kind of fill in some of the details. Sure. Yeah, I definitely have to make my bio a little bit shorter, but anyway, <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's been the story. So um, basically I had a startup company and then transitioned out of the startup. We were in consumer products into commercial real estate. So I worked for another sponsor for about six years and then I formed Red Knight Properties, which is what we're talking about now. Um, so Red Knight Properties were a value-add multifamily, and as Marcus said, mixed use, um, you know, uh, almost vertically integrated. We do in-house property management as well, um, real estate investment company. Um, so we're, you know, acquiring typically value-add, um, what we like to call workforce housing, B- minus and C+, plus, um, garden style, mostly two-story, maybe three-story walk-up buildings um, in um, the Northeast and the Southeast in all secondary markets within those particular regions. Um, so we're based about 45 minutes outside of Midtown, New York in New Jersey. And uh, we have about 340 units. Uh, well, we, we will have 340 in December after we close on our last deal um, in both New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and now Florida. Um, AUM of about 45 million. And um, our portfolio primarily consists of multifamily, but we do have mixed use. So about 20% um, of our allocation is towards our mixed use properties. So by mixed use, meaning exactly what it says. So mixed use. So whether that's, you know, office and storage or apartments and and retail, which is what we have, apartments and retail, so apartments uh, on the second floor and ground level retail in almost most of our product is suburban, but we like to call it infill suburban locations. So if you're, you know, your town has a, a strip that has local shops and eateries, um, 
we like to call, you know, walk a walkable situ, you know, walkable downtown. Um, so we'll own sometimes if it makes sense, um, you know, uh, mixed use properties. So um, we primarily do multifamily, um, like you know, eighty percent of it's multifamily. But um, we've had success with the mis- mixed use product as long as you buy them right. Yeah. So talk about that transition. I mean, you sounds like you had a startup company and you were working in that environment. What, what kind of triggered you to go and transition into real estate and commercial real estate? Sure. Yeah. So um, it was more of, I loved, you know, the business world and I've always liked real estate. I always liked, you know, checking out, Oh, what if I own that building? Just like looking around. Um, And I I had my father's actually a real estate CPA um, and just was talking to him and got introduced to some real estate, the real estate community and really found myself to really like it. And there's the thing about real estate, there's so many different uh, moving parts. So you can get involved in real estate kind of in any capacity. Um, and I really liked the, um, the ownership size. So I got to work obviously underneath another ownership platform for, for a while before starting Red Knight. So that was a great experience. Yeah, talk about that experience. I mean, working with a, I mean, it sounds like a very established group that acquired close to, well, in your time, $600 million in assets. What was kind of the role? What were you kind of doing? What were the things you learned and, and helped you and kind of set you up for where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much learned everything about the business. I learned, I met a lot of people, a lot of people really quickly, um, figured out who the players are, figured out who the decision makers are. Um, you know, I basically, you know, kind of started out as an analyst, of course, um, just learning the business. And then eventually it kind of grew into a different role, um, which was, you know, acquisitions, a little bit of asset management and capital raising. So, um, so that, you know, from transitioning from my prior work to what I'm doing now, um, it's essentially the same thing. It's just a different asset class. So we were buying office. Now we're buying the mixed use and multifamily. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit. I mean, you're talking about different asset classes, office, retail, multifamily, and then mixing some of those together in a mixed use type project. What are some of the differences between, say you're conducting due diligence on a mixed use versus a pure multifamily? What are the different things you might need to look at that, uh, yeah, some of the differences you might see? Yeah, so some of the differences are, obviously, you know, we won't look at a project if, there's 50% of the revenue coming from the retail or whatever the commercial space is. Um, it definitely has to have apartments, um, you know, because that's just our thing. That's our asset class in general. Um, you know, we want to study uh, basically all the, the, the uh, trends that you look at for multifamily are going to apply to mixed use as well, except um, it's going to come down to the, the current businesses who are there, what type of businesses there are. Um, you know, and then what community, what type of community does the, do those businesses serve? And, um, you know, we dig into the financials of the businesses, if you can even get them, sometimes you can't from the mom and pops. Um, but you know, it's, it's a little bit, um, it's definitely different. Um, it's definitely more risk, um, that you have to evaluate. Um, but sometimes the, you know, the, the cap rate spread between, a mixed use and a multifamily is just sometimes it's too good to to pass up, um, especially if it's a very low risk mis- mixed use property. 
Um, you know, for example, we have how many mixed use, maybe four mixed use properties right now. But like I said, none of them, you know, contribute more than 20, 25% of the revenue. So I know if, you know, I have my, you know, maybe I give you an example, like a 10 unit, you know, property that has four commercial. Um, I know even between the four of them, they don't make up a huge percentage of the um, rent roll. Um, and I already know the areas that we invested in. If I ever lose a retail tenant, yeah, it might take me a while to find a new one, but they are out there. And also, do I have the ability to potentially repurpose the retail if I needed to? We always look at that as well, just because things, time, times are changing with retail. Um, and we're always looking at, um, you know, can the uh, business um, be disrupted by Amazon or e-commerce? So we like service-based. So we have, I have a whole building that has a nail salon, hair salon, and a, it's like an eyelash studio waxing. So you got basically, you know, your beauty building. And then I have apartments right in the back on the second floor. Um, so there's a lot of different things to look at. Um, but, you know, frankly, the spreads are a lot higher. Like I said, on the cap rates, the returns could be better um, for sure. Um, but, you know, it, it comes down to just the fundamentals of evaluating any other real estate deal. Yeah, talk about some of those different steps that you would take to, let's say, mitigate some of those risks involved with, like you said, if you're you're going and trying to underwrite a deal and you don't have all the details, you don't have you have bits and pieces of financials, they might be incomplete, might might be missing some data. How do you kind of go and mitigate that? Because like it, like you said, if they're being managed by mom and pop operators, there's a little bit more risk in that, but creates a little bit creates more opportunity on the upside, right? You hear sure. about people managing, say self-storage facilities that are typically mom and pop operated or mobile home parks, same type of thing where, you know, considering it, to, comparing it to a multifamily asset where a lot of it is going to be institutionally owned or like very sophisticated investors that are in the space. And a lot of the details are already provided behind it where the other side, like you might not have all those systems in place, which creates opportunity for you to come in, go add those in, and, and get that, that property really humming and performing at peak, peak performance. How do you go in on the, on the front side and really underwrite that to, to mitigate that risk and, and allow you to add the most upside as possible? Yeah. Um, so kind of, again, it comes down to the fundamentals, but in, in order to mitigate that risk, a couple of things, the extra steps that we take as opposed to regular multifamily is with multifamily, you can't, you know, I, I've had guys who transitioned from office to multifamily, like, oh, we got to do tenant interviews. What are you, what are you talking about? Ten, you're going to you're going to interview every single hundred tenants. First of all, you're lucky if you can get in um, to every single unit. You know, and what are you going to do? You sit them down and ask them questions. So I have so basically, you know, when we're under contract with a mixed use property, and I learned this from my prior work was we have tenant interviews, it's usually like 20 questions. It's related to their financials. It's related to where they see their business going. It's, it's related to the area. A lot of things that we want to know, um, you know, so we do sit down if we can uh, with the retail tenants. Um, and we, we, we won't close on the property unless we talk to all the retail tenants. That's hands down. Um, and we just, we want to understand what their, what their plans are and how the business is doing. And, you know, if there's a lack in, um, service from the old ownership, you know, any improvements that we need to make, uh, what, you know, it depends how long their lease is too. 
you know, if the lease is coming up, you know, I've negotiated extending leases while I've been under contract um, a couple of times. And uh, so sometimes with those mom and pops, they're like, well, you know, I want to sign a three-year lease, but the owner said they're going to sell the building. I said, okay, I'll sign a three-year lease with you. Um, just, you know, pay X and here's the bumps and here's, you know, your base years and here's your camp, you know? So um, we kind of just take an approach of working with the tenants, you know, and a lot of owners are a little bit apprehensive to us talking to their tenants, um, but too bad because it's definitely more risky, especially when you're dealing with non-publicly traded retail companies. Right. And what are some of the ways, top ways you can really come in and say improve operations or add value? Because like, I mean, when you think of that on a multifamily side of things, you know, that comes down to doing renovations, doing some interior work to, to get some rent bumps, like what type of things are you doing on a, on a mixed use retail side of things? Like what can you do to really add some value to the properties? Well, I mean, it's kind of similar, right? To some extent, because, you know, they call it a tenant improvement allowance. Um, so you can, you know, you can offer something like that. Um, you can offer free rent, you know, it's a, called a rent abatement, um, you know, in exchange for extending the lease. So there's, there's many different things that they might perceive as valuable, um, that's not necessarily in the form of an improvement. Um, so we try to, you know, whether it's, okay, you're going to sign a lease. I don't want my rent to go up for three years, you know? Okay. Okay. Well, you know, if, if that's the case, then you get no tenant improvement allowance. I'm not improving your unit. So it's, it depends upon the situation, um, with, you know, with our retail tenants, to be honest with you, it's a lot of it's free rent. No, I want a couple of months of free rent. You know, because for the most part, they want to spend money on their build out, at least with the mom and pops that I've found. You know, we're talking about two thousand two to anywhere from two to four thousand square feet. Um, you know, and it was service based tenants. Um, because you know, they do buy sometimes they lease the equipment, you know, especially a beauty salon. So they're not necessarily they don't want us involved, really. Um, so to be honest with you, I don't even think I've offered any tenant improvement. But again, I'm not doing investment grade, class A, top of the line, you know, um, retail tenants. So it's a little bit different with the mom and pops. Right. Now, what type of, say, property managers are you working with on these types of properties? Is it going to take, are you self-managing? Are you working with with individual property management groups that specialize in these types of properties? Are they different from what a typical multifamily operator would be like, could you kind of give some of those details on, on the types of property management groups you're working with? Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, there's red night properties and then there's red night management. So we have, we have an in-house property management, um, team. So, um, we have, you know, we have a leasing team, we have, um, a management team. Um, it's all, it's all directed in-house. So we're, we're able to control it. Yeah. What were some of the, the reasonings behind that, that you wanted to, to have in-house management because a lot of times you'll see see groups going third party just whether they don't have the capabilities in-house or or for whatever reason uh what what kind of led you towards doing that in-house yeah um i think when you're starting out um i think you should learn the business you know and i think you should understand how management works um i think that you know you want to show case studies especially if you're, you're planning to be in this the long long term and if I outsource my management with my properties, I don't think I'd be able to produce the type of returns that I have been. 
um, to be honest with you, and being as creative as we get, you know, especially in the, the in light of the COVID-19 with, you know, the, the eviction moratoriums and stuff like that. Um, I just don't think that, you know, and I've, I've interviewed other management companies too, just, you know, when looking at different markets and um, some of the things that I mentioned, they, they haven't even thought of. So, you know, cash for keys, for example, um, a lot of, you know, people do do that, but it's not as common as you think. Um, so we, we, sometimes we do that. Um, and again, when you're dealing with mixed use properties, you know, there's most likely, you know, you might have a management company that deals with all asset classes, but they might not have the experience um, to figure out what it takes to rent to a retail tenant. Right. And what are some of the most important skill sets that you kind of see to be an effective asset manager and in your case, property management as well? Because I mean, a lot of times when you say like an operator or sponsor, they'll typically just call themselves an asset manager and just oversee the third party property management group. What are some of the key components or skill sets that really uh, you need at Red Knight Properties to be able to uh, effectively asset manage and property manage? Um. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, like they're kind of, they're somewhat similar, I would say, um, because you can't write an asset management report to your investors without understanding the property management. So um, they go hand in hand. There, you don't have to, obviously. There's, as as you know, there's there's a lot of operators who do do the third party management. They don't want anything to do with it, um, but. Uh, as long as you have the infrastructure, we have, we have an accounting, we have a CPA, you know, the accounting is the number one thing. That's why people don't self-manage. So the accounting, and then obviously your systems. So your Buildium or Appfolio or what we use Buildium or, you know, whatever the rental collections um, processes, um, you know, your, your post office box, um, you know, any way to systematize that and make it easier, especially if you're self-managing, makes a big difference. And um, it's it's just been very beneficial, I think, and especially if you're, like, again, you're, you know, in, in my case, I've been in the industry, but I've worked for somebody else. So um, in order to turn these buildings around as quickly as we have um, on, on all of them, um, I don't, I would not feel comfortable giving it to somebody else. And also, I guess the local locality of our properties have been is an advantage. Um, all our properties are within a 40, yeah, about an hour, I'd say, um, between myself and my other partner. And, um, you know, we are buying out of state now, which is it's just different, but we have a whole team. So we're just applying the same infrastructure to other markets at this point. That makes sense. Right. No, that totally makes sense. So is there any key differences or is it all kind of the same when you're looking at the financing for mixed use properties? Could it highlight some of the things that are important when, when going and getting your financing for these types of properties? Yeah, we haven't looked at any new mix. Uh, we actually did close on a mixed use deal in September. Um, so yeah, the financing it's again, I'm talking about, we don't, we haven't bought a $20 million mixed use deal or mixed use deals have been in-house. They've been, call it a million or less, around a million, give or take. So they've all been just in-house partnership transactions. Um, so 
the financing on that has been bank financing and they haven't really changed too much. I know some banks don't just want to shy away completely from it. Um, the banks that we worked with were, I guess, relatively aggressive, um, especially once you, you know, establish a track record and, you know, you're showing your relationships with different banks and you're paying your loans. Um, I think it only helps you. So, um, it hasn't really changed too much. It might change for the larger deals. Maybe you get 5% less leverage. Your rates maybe 10 basis points higher than where it would be on multifamily. Um, I'm sure there's reserves, you know, maybe more reserves required. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, there's probably additional requirements. We just haven't been exposed to it because it hasn't been a, a huge focus in our portfolio. Yeah, what type of loan to values are you kind of seeing a standard with in your portfolio or kind of lenders in general that on these types of mixed use properties? And what also what is the you know debt service coverage ratio that they're really looking for? Yeah, I mean on the mixed use, I think it's a little bit higher. I think it's like one three, one three five. Obviously on multifamily, there's all there's a bunch of different debt service coverage ratios. Usually it's one and a quarter you want to be at um, from the lender's perspective. Um and then in terms of leverage, you know, we don't like to be too over leveraged. So we're always anywhere from 70 to 75% of value um, on both, you know, the multi and the, and the mixed use. Um, so, and then, you know, any, any additional improvement money, we usually just, it comes out of, it comes out of cash. Um, so. Yeah, no, perfect. So these types of deals, like you said, they're kind of smaller deals, a million or less. What type of, ways are you utilizing to go and find these deals? Are you going directly to the seller? Like you said, they're more mom and pop operated. Are you trying to contact them directly? Are you kind of still utilizing similar types of brokers that you would for pure multifamily deals? Yeah. um, It's yeah. Similar brokers send us similar deals. Um, One broker in particular brought us, I think almost all our mixed use deals. Um, And uh, yeah, it's just three relationships. Mostly it's through brokers. Perfect. So can you highlight, you know, one specific deal? What did you like about it? You know, when did, how many units, different things like that, just kind of high level details as we look to start wrapping up the call here. For mixed use? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, our first larger deal we bought, um, it was, uh, I mentioned it before, it was about, about 11,000 square foot um, mixed use property. It was four apartments. No, I'm sorry. Six apartments. Um, one of the retail was vacant um cap rate this was in 2018 late 18 um cap rate was seven and a half it was in a location that i grew up in it was 15 minutes away knew the building very well knew the tenants um and knew the area and um knew what the rental market was uh the rents were i mean we the rents were 60 percent below where where uh, we ended up actually you know we got um the one bedrooms were like 800 bucks and now we're getting 1450 um two bedrooms are like 1600 almost and they were getting 850 so um so we you know we got the rents up really quick on that one it was like a no-brainer um and then we leased up the vacant retail um we actually had to release retail that was going not going out of business, but relocating. Um, so we we bought that building. The NOI was like ninety five thousand, and then by the time we were done with it, it only took us like 
six months, eight months, um, we look to get a cash out refinance. Um, obviously, there's a sunset period, so you got to wait 12 months typically. Um, and we cash out refinance. The, the, we bought it for 1.285. Um, we put a little bit of money into it, not much. All, all in was like 1.31. wasn't much improvements. There was actually a fire at the building prior to us buying it. And the owner was from a farm family. So there's like 10 siblings, brothers fighting with each other. They didn't want anything to do with the property. So we went and solved the problem for them by obviously buying it. Um, and um, so, yeah, we, we bought that. So, and then we, so we're all in at one, three, give or take. And with that, so there was an insurance claim with the, with the fire. And um, they got like half a million dollars in proceeds. And they redid all the apartments. And they redid the store. So it was great. It was a, not too much work needed in that building. So we put a little bit of lipstick in after, and we just changed the management around, got the rents up, and shuffled around tenants and renegotiated leases, and et cetera. So when we refinanced, the value of the building came back at two point one million fifty thousand, and that was in a year of us buying the property. So we were able to return um, everybody's money and then forty percent uh, just on the refinance. Wow. Um, not every deal is like that. It was a, a home run. Um, but again, you talk about self-management we self-manage that building. If we, th- we pass that off, we would be, um, I would not have that case study. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic deal and really home run deal. Like you mentioned. So I know you got to get going shortly here. So going to do a rapid, you know, final four questions here to close it up. So short to the point answers here. So what is your favorite real estate or business book? Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's easy. Perfect. What is one thing you wish you knew when you got started in real estate investing? Uh, don't be afraid to go bigger, quicker. Yeah, great advice. What's a daily habit that helps you be successful in real estate? Uh, have a morning routine. Yeah, so important. So what do you like to do for fun? Uh, run, big run. Amazing. Not many people find fun in that, but yeah, it's a great thing <laughs> to get cardio and, and, and stretch yourself. So how can our listeners get in touch with you? Uh, we have a special report. Um, it's called how to leave your fi- nine to five and achieve financial independence. Um, you just go to our website, rednightproperties.com. Um, it'll come up on the page. Um, it, just put your email in and then we'll send you a free copy of it and, uh, love educating people. So, uh, once you get that copy, it'll have my contact information on that as well. Perfect. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. Thanks for coming on the show today, Anthony. Really appreciate it. Give it some insight into mixed teams properties and how to evaluate them, manage them and, and yeah, it was great, great uh, to have you on the show. And I'm sure my audience will learn a ton from it. So thanks again and talk to you soon. Thank you, Marcus. Appreciate it. Okay, take care. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, make sure to leave a five-star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into how you can build wealth through real estate. Talk to you next time.